So, if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn with me to the little book of Philemon? I'm going to try and finish a little series that I started some time ago and uh, look at the final section of this little uh, letter that Paul wrote to uh, his friend Philemon. Uh, We'll look at verses 17 to 25, but we'll take uh, time to read the whole thing together. Uh, Philemon's difficult to find in the New Testament. It's tucked in um, between Titus and Hebrews, I think. Uh, Hopefully you'll find it there somewhere. Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews... James, uh, hopefully you'll uh, come across it. So, let me read uh, to you then from Philemon 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, uh, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people or, or, or all the saints. And your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the heart of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would like to, I would like to, would like to keep him uh, with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do uh, would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he has been separated Uh, from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord so if you consider me a partner welcome him as you would welcome me If he has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Just a prayer. Lord, as we turn our thoughts to this uh, little section of scripture at the end of this little letter that Paul wrote to uh, Philemon, we pray that you'll come and make it live to us. Uh, We know that your word is living Um, But sometimes we're so dead to its life and its power and its reality and uh, its circumstance. So we pray, Lord, that you'll make your word live to us. And we pray that you'll help all of us as we place ourselves under the authority of your word and endeavor to apply it to our lives and to become obedient to its commands, its guidance, its instruction. Encourage us and inspire us, we humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has written this letter, if you haven't been with us in any of the previous sessions, uh, he has written this letter to his friend Philemon, and he is asking him to forgive his runaway slave called Onesimus. Onesimus had taken off, it would appear, uh, from Colossae and had set sail for the bright lights of Rome to finance his new life in uh, the big imperial city where he would live the life of a fugitive or a runaway uh, to finance this new life he had stolen it appears from his master on his way out the door and he had not only become a slave but then a runaway slave but now he has become a thief as well Yet in the providence of God, uh, somehow he had come into contact with Paul. And it seems that uh, during his interactions with Paul, because Paul says, he is my son and he became my son while I was in chains. Somehow, through his interactions with Paul, he had become a Christian. And now that he has become a Christian, Paul is sending him back to Philemon, this runaway slave called Onesimus. Sending him back to Colossae and to Philemon. with this letter in his hand, a letter that asks Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not just as a slave, but as a brother. Uh, Now they have got the same spiritual father, they are brothers in the family of faith, Uh, whether Philemon likes it or not, God has accepted him and welcomed him into his family. And uh, that's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing that we don't get to choose who God admits into his family. Maybe Philemon could have said in his heart, Lord, you can have anyone in your family but that rascal that ripped me off and ran away and left me in the lurch. But Philemon doesn't get to choose who God uh, saves, forgives, reconciles to himself and welcomes into his family. That's God's prerogative. And uh, you might be here thinking, I wouldn't have let you into the family of God, Murdoch, if it had been left to me. Or maybe someone else in church. Well, you don't get to choose. It's your responsibility to accept 
accept me and my responsibility to accept you and your responsibility to accept each other as brothers and sisters in the family of faith and to love each other and care for each other as fellow members of the family of faith. Calvin says it would be it would have been nothing short of haughty pride for Philemon to be ashamed to count as his brother someone God numbers amongst his sons. Well, from verse 17 onwards, and that's the section we're going to look at today, Paul deals with the issue of reconciliation. Now, forgiveness uh, is one thing. Reconciliation is another. Reconciliation is, if you like, a step on from forgiveness. It's fine to talk about having forgiven someone. But then the question emerges, how will you treat them when you actually meet them? And how will you treat them in an ongoing way, not just when you meet them? And Paul is really putting himself out in making this request to Philemon. Uh, There was a fear in the ancient world in which Paul lived that that slaves would mount a rebellion because uh, there were there a third of the population of Rome was made up of slaves at least a third and there was a fear amongst uh, the people who lived in Rome that slaves would mount a rebellion uh, against the established order and the idea of Paul harboring a runaway slave and a thief to boot and trying to excuse him uh, and trying to persuade his owner not to hold his crimes against him wouldn't have been viewed very pleasantly in the eyes of the Roman authorities and Paul is in prison he is trying to secure his release from prison so Paul is in fairly precarious circumstances as he tries to secure um, uh, Onesimus' acceptance um, at the hands of his master Philemon but Paul is prepared to put himself on the line He's prepared to put himself in difficult circumstances to become an agent of reconciliation. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of John Bunyan who wrote a little book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's the most uh, widely read book in the English language apart from the Bible. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress. He was in prison for 12 years for preaching the gospel, separated from his wife and four children. And he said being separated from his wife and four children was like having the flesh torn from his body. And at the end of his life, when he was out of prison and he was back ministering, he was approached by a boy uh, to help him secure reconciliation from with his father uh, from whom he was estranged. This boy is not speaking to his dad or his dad's not speaking to him. And the boy comes to John Bunyan in Bedford and says, would you travel uh, with me down to Reading to, to meet my father and would you help me secure reconciliation with my father? So John Bunyan went with the boy and... Uh, He secured reconciliation with his father and he was traveling back to Bedford and he was traveling through London and uh, he got caught in a terrible storm and uh, was soaked to the skin and uh, he died in London before he ever made it back to Bedford. It's a sad story actually, a sad end to such a great life, great Baptist preacher John Bunyan. But he died as Jesus died, didn't he? 
securing reconciliation between two estranged partners. What a way to die. Following in the footsteps of Jesus, trying to bring two estranged parties together, trying to see them reconciled in their relationship with each other. And Paul is prepared to put himself on the line, even if it leads to his execution. He's prepared to die as Jesus died, being a reconciler. Being a reconciler. Now, um, he's writing to Philemon because I think he knows that Philemon will be open to his advice. And that spoke to me a bit. I think he's writing to Philemon because he knows that Philemon's heart will be open enough to listen to the perspective of other people. Philemon probably, when when Onesimus showed up at Philemon's door, I am almost certain that Philemon would have felt tempted just to read the riot act to him. And throw the book at him and give him a piece of his mind. But Paul is writing to him knowing that he'll be open to Paul's advice. How open are we to people's advice? I was thinking about this this week. I, I, I just thinking about this in relation to a set of circumstances that I'm involved in and, and uh, people that are involved in it. And they're absolutely entrenched in their position. And they won't listen to anyone. Their minds are not open to anyone else's perspective. They're absolutely dogged on the road that they are traveling. Well, not Philemon. He's prepared to sit down and be reasonable and be rational. And he's open to the advice of the Apostle Paul. And that's why Paul writes this letter to him. And sometimes as Christians I think we ought to be a little bit more open minded. And put ourselves in other people's shoes. And listen to things from other people's perspectives. And we ought to be prepared to listen to the advice of Christians who have been around for a long time. And who love God and who love the church. And might just might have something to contribute to uh, the stuff that we're going through. Well, I want to try and break this passage down. And I'm just going to pull out some key phrases in it. And those are going to be uh, my headings. The first phrase is, well. Welcome him. Verse 17, that's what he says. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him. And welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul asks Philemon not only to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome him um, as he would welcome the apostle himself. Um, Now, if Paul had arrived in Colossae and shown up at Philemon's door... Paul's writing to him and says, I I know that you would welcome me. In my mind's eye, I can see me knocking your door. I can see you coming out to your porch. I can see the embrace that you would give me. Have you ever seen the way that Middle Eastern people greet each other? I mean, uh, it would scare a a reserved Scot like me to death. They kiss each other on both cheeks and there's hugging and there's all kinds of stuff goes on. And You just stand there and wait for it to be over. And that's the kind of greeting that Paul anticipates that Philemon would give him uh, if he were to arrive in Colossae and Paul says I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me the very welcome that you would give me is the welcome that I want you to give to uh, Onesimus now think about this there had been a complete breakdown in the relationship between these two men Philemon had been deeply hurt by the uh, behaviour of Onesimus not to mention ripped off 
he probably had to bring in someone to take Onesimus' place. Onesimus had stolen from him in his uh, departure from their home. So when Onesimus returns, Philemon's first instinctive reaction is going to be, let's just open up here and give him both barrels. But Paul says, no, no, I I want you to do something a little bit different. I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me. It's interesting, isn't it? When when you're asked to forgive someone, you can kind of say, well, I do forgive them. But you can continue to communicate the fact that you haven't fully forgotten it. see that with my children around the table. Uh, They've fallen out and, and, and we're insistent. You've got to forgive and you should be reconciled. And I want you to forgive your brother uh, for making a mess uh, of, your, of your room or whatever it is. I want you to forgive. And, and so they'll walk past each other and on the, way pa- on the way out of the table they'll give their hair a good yank just to make them know that they haven't fully forgotten. They've talked about forgiveness in, in the presence of their parents. But just a little reminder, this hasn't been forgotten yet. This is living on here. And, and there's a possibility that Philemon could have done that with, with uh, Onesimus. Have you been deeply offended by someone? Deeply hurt by someone? Financially? Emotionally? Physically? Have you been tempted to treat them with a little bit of coolness? You meet them in the foyer of the church and you just, or in the cafe next door and you just kind of ignore them a little bit just to, just to communicate, yeah, I haven't fully forgotten that. Don't think you're getting away with it that lightly. Have you ever been tempted to treat them with a little bit of coolness? The Bible calls us to welcome each other in the way that we would welcome the Lord. That's a staggering uh, thought. But, but that's true. Remember what Jesus said? He said, in that you did not give it to the least of these my brothers, you did not give it to me. The way we treat other Christians, the way that we welcome other Christians, is the way that we treat the Lord himself. And, and maybe, just maybe the Lord will say to us one day, you were cool with me and, and you gave me the cold shoulder and you snubbed me. And we'll say, when did we do that to you, Lord? Well, when did we snub you? Say, in that you snubbed the least of these, my brothers, you snubbed me. Well, that's the first thing. Welcome him as you would welcome me. I, 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 I want to just say one thing before I leave. Uh, that, that, and I, I want to say this, that um, I know that there's a host of issues related to that. I'm not saying that crimes should not go reported and should not go punished. I am not saying that we should trust someone immediately they they apologize. Trust is something that's earned. And I'm not saying that what that person did doesn't matter. It does matter a great deal. But I am saying as Christians, we ought to be prepared to forgive each other. And we ought to be reconciled to each other. And I find in my life and church life that Christians are among the best people at holding grudges. So the first thing is welcome him as you would welcome me, this runaway slave that stripped you off. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Second thing is charge it to me. Verse 18, if he's done anything wrong or if he owes you anything, charge it to me. 
Peterson in the message says, If he damaged anything or owes you anything, chalk it up to my account. Paul is promising here to make good Onesimus' debt. It's fine to be an agent of reconciliation if it doesn't cost you anything. But Paul is prepared to foot the bill of Onesimus' past sins. If he owes you anything, charge it to me. Chalk it up to my account. It reminds you a little bit of the story of the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? Remember where he lifted the Good Samaritan, lifted that poor man that was beaten and lying for dead on the side of the road. And remember the religious people were on their way to church, so they were too busy to stop and help some poor guy that had been beaten up and was lying uh, on the side of the road. But the Good Samaritan lifted him and took him to an inn where he could be cared for and says, here's two denarii to care for him. And uh, I'll come back in after some period of time. And, and if it takes more to have cared for him, I'll pay that as well. That's the kind of thing that's taking place here. What is Paul doing? Um, Paul is being like Jesus. Is this not what Jesus himself did? Did Jesus not say to the Father, whatever they owe you, whatever they owe you by way of sin and whatever they owe your justice, Charge it to my account and I'll pay it for them fully. So Paul is just being exactly like Jesus because this takes us to the very heart of the gospel. How can a God who is holy look on sinners without displeasure? And how can sinners approach a holy God without a great sense of fear? And without a sense of guilt. The only way they can do that is if someone who has no sin of their own to pay for. Steps up to the plate and says, you see the sins that they owe you? Charge it to my account and I'll pay their bill for them. And that's what Jesus did. Our sin was imputed to him. And then all of his righteousness is imputed to us. And this takes us to the very heart of the gospel. And what strikes me is that Paul not only preaches the gospel, he models it. He lives it. He doesn't just talk about it. He actually models the gospel. In the way that he lives, anything that he owes you, charge it to my account. This is Jesus. He is modeling Jesus for the watching skeptical world. Here's a man who's prepared to pay someone else's, a criminal, a rascal's bill. Just like Jesus did. In our homes, in front of our children, we ought to model the gospel, shouldn't we? As our children fall out with each other, we ought to encourage forgiveness and reconciliation. But we ought to do more than that. We ought to model it. As husbands and wives, as we find ourselves at odds from time to time, instead of uh, perpetuating the estrangement and allowing it to run on for days at a time, we ought to run towards forgiveness. Run immediately towards forgiveness and reconciliation. We ought to model the gospel. As two people grow in animosity towards each other, do we model Christ And work towards reconciliation. You know, Calvin again, and I'm sorry I'm calling Calvin. You might think I'm a a rampant Calvinist. And I just was reading his commentary and I I found a few of his little nuggets really helpful. He says the gospel is the embassy of reconciliation. 
I thought that's a beautiful description of the gospel. The gospel is the embassy of reconciliation. So a few years ago I had to get a visa to travel abroad somewhere I shouldn't have probably probably been going. And I'll not tell you where in case I want to go back again and they find out that I was trying to find a visa for it. Anyway, I went to London and uh, I went to the embassy. and, And you've got, in London you've got the street where there's a row of embassies. And then you've got one in particular that's got a big Canadian flag outside, a big maple leaf uh, flying, or a big flag flying outside, outside it. And, and so when you walk past and you see the flag, um, you, you, you know in, in your mind that inside there people are talking about tomatoes, not tomatoes. And you know that people are using terminology like A at the end of every sentence. Pretty good day, eh? Because the the Canadian flag tells you that's the kind of people that are inside there. Well, reconciliation is the embassy of the gospel. When you see people who are passionate about reconciliation, about seeing estranged parties brought together, being prepared to put themselves out, being prepared to pay other people's bills... You know that that's the embassy of the gospel. You know that they've experienced the gospel for themselves. So he says, uh, charge it to me. That's the second thing. The third thing he says, uh, he says, you owe me. So welcome him, uh, charge it to me. And then you owe me, he says. Uh, not to mention that you owe me your very self, says Philemon, uh, or, or says Paul to Philemon. I, I, I don't want to mention the fact that you owe me your entire life, he says. Not to mention it. Of course, in, mentioning, in not mentioning it, he does mention it. Uh, what Paul is reminding Philemon of is the fact that he's a debtor uh, to the apostle. Now, it's difficult to rule out the possibility that Paul didn't help Philemon in some kind of practical monetary way. Um, I think that's a possibility. It's a, unlikely, because Paul doesn't strike you as the kind of person at any point uh, who had a lot of money so to give to people. I don't think that he was in a position to help people financially a great deal during his missionary endeavours. I think what is far more likely is that Philemon, who is a businessman who owns slaves, uh, and the rights and wrongs of slavery is another discussion, but he's a businessman, a successful businessman in first century terms. He probably went to the coast. Ephesus was the nearest port town. And he probably was selling goods, buying goods. He probably was in Ephesus on business, bumped into Paul, and that's where he became a Christian. And now Paul says, well, you owe me. Remember that. You owe me everything. Because had it not been for me, you would have lived and died in spiritual darkness and gone to a lost eternity. It was because I was sent by God as a missionary to Ephesus and bumped into you and explained the gospel to you and pleaded with you to accept Jesus as your saviour. It's because of that that you're now a Christian going to heaven. You owe me your entire life, says Paul. Don't forget that. This little guy might have ripped you off on the way out the door. He might have stolen a fiver from you. But don't forget that you owe me absolutely everything. You owe me. It's a bit like the story that Jesus told in Matthew 18. Remember that story of the man that was uh, forgiven a lifetime of debt? He couldn't pay it and he was, and, and, and he begged the king, forgive me, forgive me. And the king forgave him a lifetime of debt. And he goes out of the king's palace and he meets a man who owes him uh, a fiver. 
And he takes him by the lapels and he sticks him against the wall. And he says, pay me the fiver. And the king hears about the activity of the man that he has forgiven a lifetime of debt for. And he calls him back. He says, I, I forgive you everything. And, and now look, look, look what you're doing now to this poor guy that owes you a fiver. Can you see the incongruity of that? The, the craziness of that? And that's exactly what Paul is saying to Philemon. He says, so he's, he owes you a little bit. You owe me everything. You owe God everything. Have you forgotten the debt that God has forgiven you? And as we hold on to unforgiveness, I think we forget how much God has forgiven. God has given me a lifetime of sin. He has wiped the slate completely clean. God has removed my transgressions from me as far as the east is from the west. They will never be remembered against me again. How gracious has God been to me? And how gracious has God been to you? How can we then hold something against someone else when God has forgiven us everything? Haven't we got a responsibility to be, to reflect that forgiveness that we have received? Paul writes to Philemon, he says, you owe me. Don't forget that, you owe me. Verse 20, he says, refresh my heart. Refresh my heart. Yes, brother, he says, I'd like to receive some benefit from you. The word benefit is a kind of a play on the word for Onesimus because uh, oinomen is linked to the same root word as Onesimus. And there's a bit of a play on it. Um, Anyway, I'd like to receive some benefit from you, he says. I'd like to be refreshed from you, refreshed in Christ. I mean, how depressing it would have been for Paul to have heard that they delivered this letter. And Philemon just crumpled it up and tossed it in the fire. And he lashed out at Onesimus and gave him what's for. How depressing would that have been? Paul says, I I want to be refreshed by the news that you've forgiven this guy. I want to be refreshed by the news that you've reflected Jesus in your behavior. I want to be refreshed in in, in hearing the news that you've treated him the way God has treated you. And uh, he mentions a whole list of people here. Jesus, uh, he talks about uh, his fellow workers, Epaphras, the man who first took the gospel to Colossae. Founder of the church. He's waiting for him to hear the good news. He wants to be refreshed by the news that you've forgiven Onesimus. John Mark, remember John Mark? Remember how on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, he went and then he deserted them? Second missionary journey, they were going to set out and Barnabas says, I want to bring my cousin John Mark with. Paul says, no, no, no. He let us down first time round, we're not bringing him. And they fell out. And here he is, here he is, restored to Paul. Many years later, he's restored to Paul. He's an important member of his team. And, And John Mark has experienced the forgiveness of Paul. And now he's waiting in Rome for news that Philemon has forgiven Onesimus and and Luke, the beloved physician. These men, these men are all waiting along with Paul. They want to be refreshed by hearing the news that Philemon is a forgiver, not a resenter, not full of bitterness. That Philemon is like Jesus, is full of grace towards other people. That's what they want to be refreshed by. And, you know, I think we need to think about that. The impact our behavior has on other people. Like, how will our children feel if they watch as parents holding resentments and, and, and bitterness towards other people who have hurt us and, and uh, who have hurt us? 
and done stuff to us that they shouldn't have done to us. Treated us shabbily. We're going to hold on to that forever and talk about them in a nasty way. What is that going to do to our children? It's not going to refresh them. That's for sure. It's going to somehow treat, teach them that, oh, this is the kind of life that, that's, that it's okay to live. And not only our children, but our friends, younger people in church who are coming up behind us, if they watch us as older people in the church and see that we harbor grudges and we don't forgive, it's not going to refresh their hearts. Paul says, I want you to refresh my heart. I want to hear the refreshing news that you've forgiven. Then then in verse 21, he says, do more than I ask. I'm confident of your obedience and I write to you knowing that you will do more than I ask. Do more than I ask. He's confident that Philemon will do much more than... He's confident because he knows Philemon. He's heard his testimony. He knows that he's an encourager. He knows that he loves the Lord's people. He knows that he's full of faith in Christ. And he's confident that, that, that Philemon will actually respond positively to his letter. But the thing that struck me is, not only is he confident that Philemon will respond positively to the letter, he's confident that Philemon will do more than he asked. That Philemon is the kind of guy who lives above expectations. Because we kind of live our lives and think, what's the least I could get off with here? What's the least I could do to remain with a foot in the Christian church? What's the least I can do? But not Philemon. Philemon's the kind of guy that exceeds expectations, exceeds other people's expectations. This is a guy who is all out for God. He is the kind of Christian that is worth emulating. And sixthly, he says, prepare a a room, verse 22. Prepare a room, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Paul's, I don't know what circumstances are in Rome. Probably the trial is already underway. Probably Paul has already got a sense that it's going to work out positively. Maybe God has communicated to him. Paul, your ministry's not over yet. You're going to be released and you've got a couple more years of ministry left. Somehow he has a sense that as a, as a, in, as a response to the Lord's people's prayers, he's going to be released. Prayer is important. A little mention of prayer here is really important. In response to your prayers, I'm going to be restored to you. Through your prayers. Prayer is not a futile exercise. Prayer changes things. Change, changes the course of history. And, and we ought to pray for people. Pray for one another. Pray about difficult circumstances that we can't see a solution to. A poor girl in Pakistan who's just been uh, either acquitted or uh, excused by the court. But where does she go now? And what kind of a life would she ever live in Pakistan now? Prayer could help that lady. God can answer the prayers of his people. And intervene in that girl's story. And, and, and somehow work things out for her in the future. Paul says, I believe that through your prayers I'm going to be released from prison. And I'm going to have the opportunity to come to Colossae and uh, spend some time with you. And uh, 
we don't really know whether he ever got to Colossae or not but he's hoping to get there that that those were his plans at least at this point and he mentions his fellow workers Uh, I think that's important but there's one fellow worker which is worth flagging up I've mentioned the rest of them they're waiting for the good news that Philemon is forgiven you notice Demas' name is in there that struck me Demas by the time that Paul gets around to writing his final letter to Timothy, just two years later, when he has been recaptured, Paul was released, recaptured, brought back to prison, and he wrote a letter to Timothy. He will write to Timothy and say, Demas has forsaken me. So here he is with Paul in Rome at this point as he writes this letter to Philemon. But within two years he'll be gone from the scene forever. And it's just a reminder to me that... There's no room for going back, is there? We must put our hand in the hand of Christ and go on with him until we breast the finish tape. I've lost count of the number of people during the course of my life who once walked with Jesus, but no longer walk with Jesus. And you wonder where they will be, and, and you certainly wouldn't want to be in their shoes. And I want to encourage you, don't be a Demas. He's with Paul at this point, but he won't be by the end of his ministry. And the last thing he communicates is grace. Grace. He says he wishes them grace. I think it's, a great, I think it's amazing that he finishes this letter with grace. Because listen, naturally speaking, if someone rips you off and runs away and leaves you in the lurch, you don't feel like forgiving them. It's only grace God grace that can enable you to do what Paul is asking Philemon to do. That's why this letter finishes on grace. Philemon, may you experience the grace of God, the undeserved help of God to do what you should do as a Christian man. Maybe you're sitting here as a husband and wife and you're sitting together but your hearts are not together because you're at loggerheads with each other. Maybe you need to leave church this morning And maybe you need to go and be reconciled to each other. Maybe you're sitting in church and there's another Christian on the other side and you're you're at loggerheads with them and there's a coolness between you. And that's the truth, if you're honest. And maybe you need to be reconciled to them. Maybe there's another Christian somewhere out there and if you met them you couldn't speak to them. You'd have to cross over to the other side of the road. And maybe you need to, this week, make some effort to be reconciled to them. Can you see the story as it unfolds? The men at Colossae, the elders of the town, are sipping their warmed goat's milk that they bought in the local Starbucks at the city gate. And uh, one of them says to the other, Have you heard about uh, Philemon's useless slave? He's run away to Rome. That's the last we'll see of him, I guess. And three or four months later, the same men are sipping their warm goat's milk at the city gates that they bought in Costa this time. And uh, one of them says to the other, I thought you said that Philemon's useless slave had run away and that that was the last that we would see of him. Well, I did. And he did run away. And that's exactly what I said. Well, he says, I was at one of those meetings in Philemon's house, one of those praise meetings. And what do you know? Onesimus was sitting right beside Philemon. Sitting beside him. And they were singing together. And praying together. And at one point I saw Philemon's arm around Onesimus. 
Oh, it says that couldn't be. There's no way that could be. That's impossible. He, that rascal ran away and stole from him on the way out the door. That could never be. Oh, yes, it can be. Because God is a God of grace. And because God changes people. And when God changes people, they become forgivers. They don't become resenters. And uh, my prayer is that God will help me to live this out as well as just preach it. Because it's easy to preach, isn't it? But it's another thing altogether to live this out. And uh, my prayer is that you'll be able to live it out. And I ask you to pray that God will help me to live it out. And let's model the gospel in the way that we live before others.